Hi, everyone. This is Glenn Keen, and you are listening to the Animation Attic podcast with the Rotoscopers. They are awesome. You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 111, Treasure Planet, with the very pleasing gold coin to precious jewel ratio. Want to be as cool as Jim Hawkins? Then be sure to do your holiday shopping at Amazon.com. You can find everything you need for solar surfing, hoverboards, and all the amazing gifts that you need for your family and crew. So to support the show, use the Amazon link, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Hello and welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, and I am here with my lovely, amazing, time-traveling, space-traveling co-hosts, Chelsea Robson and Mason Smith. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. From the future. By the time (laughs) you listen to the broadcast, it will be like five to ten seconds into the future already. It's true. The future is great. 10 seconds from now, everything is pretty much the same, except a little bit better. <laughs> That's my report for the future. So for those of you who are new to our show, the Animation Addicts podcast is a show all about our love of animation and the animation industry, particularly animated films. Each episode, we talk about an animated film, past or present, or maybe is it a future film that is set in the past but has old clothes, but new technology. I don't know. We will do that too. Mm-hmm. Other um, dimension. And we we review the film. We give our thoughts of the films. And it, we just have a great time while we were doing it. So this episode, we are reviewing Disney's Treasure Planet. And Ooh. I'm really excited to talk about that. So before we get going, any any house business? Definitely. I just no, wanted to... we haven't seen Star Wars yet. Why do you keep rubbing this in? Move on. (laughs) So um, we are getting ready. Just so you guys know. So next episode is going to be our end of year, the best ever, best of 2015 episode. So we need all of you guys to do many different things. One, send us your voicemails. We will also be throwing in other voicemails, maybe if they kind of got lost along the way. Um, But this is going to be really great. So what we're doing is we're doing kind of like a game show for a part of the set. One of the segments is going to be a little bit of a game show where you guys make up the most difficult um, for those people who listen to the animation addicts podcast quiz ever. And then you are going to ask us to see how much we remember or don't remember over the past three years, almost four years of doing the rotoscopers uh, podcast. All three years, not just this year. No, no, no. All of them. Oh man. Can I, um, do I take my day off that for that episode? <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. I am so excited because, I, I mean, basically, here's what you got to do. You as a listener, go back and listen to one of one zero or number one, which is like the Beauty and the Beast episode, all the way to, you know, 111, this episode. And you can make up different random cr- trivia questions on what you think – if you've listened to this episode, you would know who said it, what they said, where, you know, what they rated a film or, you know, whatever you'd like. And <laughs> oh, that, that nitty gritty? Yes. That's why I think it's going to be so much fun. Great. The Tinkerbell movie. False. 4.5. <laughs> wasn't even on that episode. Whoa. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, oh, wow. This like, will- you guys... 
I am so excited about this because I just think it'll be so much fun. Um, we will be laughing the entire time. The other part of this episode is going to be the best of 2015 Rotoscopers Awards. So we are going to be posting a um, where you're able to go in and vote and choose. We do this every year. You guys get to pick what you guys thought was the best of 2015. Where are the links for all of those things? So if people want to go vote or they want to submit or they want to, you know, I guess we will have our, the ballot up very soon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ballot will be up hopefully by tomorrow. I'll probably, I'll make sure to get it up by tomorrow. And then also, um, if you need to find it, so you can go to um, this episode, so rotoscopers.com slash 111, so 111, you can find all the links there, but that'll be up on Friday. Um, Until then, you can just keep watching the website. Mm-hmm. And yep, just, what's the link to leave their their best moment or their sneaky, super hard question? Rotoscopers.com slash rotosurvey. So speaking of, you know, last episode, our last actual episode was our review of The Good Dinosaur, episode 109. But in between then and now, you may have noticed we had a special bonus episode, which was our interview with Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, episode one. Oh, yeah. We are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of the Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We, we are, are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Bros. So this was a really, really exciting um, opportunity that we had. We got to go, Chelsea and I got to go and meet them. We've met Don, but this is our first time meeting Gary, which was really exciting. And the re- and Mason was there, uh, you know, via Skype, which was really exciting. And we just yep. got to ask them about their new project, the Dragon's Lair movie pitch, which they are doing. And I loved the episode. It was really great because... It, we we got to go into the details of you know what is the plot and give us a little you know idea of where this is going to go and what about this and what about that and it, they just were so kind and giving of their time and so if you are interested in either of those two the films that they have made including the Dragon's Lair video game which they made back in the 80s which they are trying to uh, make as a feature length film which is really exciting go check it out rotoscopers.com slash 110 and uh, the reason we did this interview is because they had moved their campaign from Kickstarter to Indiegogo. At the time we recorded that, they were almost to their goal, but as of this recording, they have met their goal, and now they have some really cool stretch goals. Um, for, for example, um, in their pitch, it was going to have four minutes of animation, and one minute was going to be actual, complete, full-color uh, totally done animation, but one of their stretch goals is they will extend that time to, I think, 110, 120, 130, depending on if they reach different tiers. So it ultimately means more amazing finished animation from these two animation legends, which is very, very exciting. So um, I thought it was a great interview, so go check it out. Uh, but I will stop babbling about that so we can babble about our favorite space film not star wars but basically the second coolest space film out there right now <laughs> titan ae oh i mean uh, treasure planet oh yeah that one there there are quite a few yes treasure planet 
November 27th. Mr. Yokan there, right? Beware the cyborg. This appears to be some kind of map. This is the moment Jim Hawkins had always dreamed of. Whoa, treasure planet. Now... He's determined to go for it. This is my chance to set things right. I don't want to lose you. Make you proud. Robert Louis Stevenson's greatest adventure, Treasure Island, as it has never been seen before. Oh, hands to station! Walt Disney Pictures presents Treasure Planet. How cool is this? What are you looking at, weirdo? Yeah, weirdo. Brace yourself. Pleasure to meet you, Jimmy. It's Jim. And you are? I want to say Larry. He may be on a quest for gold. Gonna make people see me a little different. Mr. Silver? Cyborg. But he better watch out for Silver. Change in bloodlines! Pirates on my ship! Oh, mama. We move now! This isn't over yet. Sometimes, courage can be the greatest treasure of all. You think a pup like you can take on the likes of me? Watch me. Treasure Planet. Captain Flint? In the flesh! Except for skin, organs, or anything that resembles flesh. Treasure Planet 2002. I did not see this. This was actually, spoiler alert, this is the first time I've ever watched it. Me too. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm a terrible person. Oh, I've seen it 2002, twice. I don't know what I was into around that time. I would have been like a sophomore in high school. See, I was... Lord, Lord knows what I was into at that <laughs> point in time, so I guess it wasn't Treasure Planet. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I was very confused as to why I didn't see this film because I'm pretty sure I saw every other animated film out there. So I was kind of disappointed in myself. Um, but a little bit of general information on this. We got this information from Wikipedia as well as from um, Box Office Mojo. Most of it will be coming from there. Wikipedia so, at this point in time are looking for their annual donation. So I <laughs> donated to Wikipedia, but every time I go, I'm like, ugh. I use you every day. <laughs> donate just a dollar or five dollars. I should. I'm going to. You heard it first, guys. Morgan, uh, just a just a dollar for a cup. The price of a cup of coffee, a crappy cup of coffee for a dollar. Um, I'll do ten. I'll do ten. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Morgan is so charitable. Everyone. <laughs> it's so oh. modest. Screaming it out on the airwaves. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right, so All right. the studio, obviously, was Walt Disney Feature Animation, and the directors were the amazing Ron Clements and John Musker. Ron and, and John. And... Ron and John. We love them. Uh, the release date was November 27th, 2002. Lilo and Stitch came out earlier that same year. Whoa. Uh, the budget for this film was $140 million. Whoa. Can we say, whoa, Scoob? Wow! Like wow, Scoob! So, we could buy so many Scooby snacks with that. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes, Mason. So, 
If the production budget was $140 million, how do you think the, everybody felt when box office domestic gross was $38 million total oh. and then worldwide was $109.5 million? This is so weird because watching it for the first time, like at this point, the 2D pipeline for Disney animation had gotten so techno- like technologically advanced. It, it, like super groundbreaking, amazing visuals, and then to have people respond this way must have been such a huge letdown. Again, this is 2002. I don't know what the where the heck my mind was at that at this point, but um, I don't know. I probably would have been pretty excited to see it when I was a kid. So just to put things into perspective, <clears throat> this film cost 140 million dollars in 2002. Frozen, which came out over a decade later in 2013, also cost 100. Well, cost just a little bit more, 150 million dollars. Wow. Yeah. And today's money is even more advanced than nine, 15 it's years less ago. Valuable, basically. Years ago, yeah. Our yeah. money today is not as valuable as our money was in 2002. Yeah, that's very true. Okay, so. <laughs> Comparatively speaking, this was supposed to be like Frozen. This was supposed to be the Frozen of 2002, but it wasn't. <laughs> Go purely by budget. Um, gosh, I don't even I don't even know where to begin in analyzing why it didn't do so well. Well, I think at this point in time, Disney had a string of not necessarily flops, although I I could think. I, I feel kind of comfortable saying that Atlantis was a flop, and then there was Lilo and Stitch, which did pretty well, um, but not amazing. I think they had already the Renaissance had passed, and it was very clear that Disney was not the same. And for some reason or another, this film just did not take off, uh, did not resonate with audiences in the way that they wanted it to, which is kind of disappointing because, you know, it. it it's an interesting film. I think it, it's character. There's some really great character moments and, and relationships that are developed, but um, you know, even critics, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it's 68% fresh. So it's not like it was a bomb by critics. It just didn't seem to really resonate with people in the box office. So yeah, here and not to add salt to the wound, but this was just a funny thing. I looked at all the other movies that came out that same day and um it was number fourth in the box office. Number five was Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights. Awesome. So. Hey, don't diss on Eight Crazy Nights. That, thing, that, that movie had a strong anti-alcohol message, which I approve of. So, You heard it first. Guys like me went and saw Eight Crazy Nights instead of Treasure Planet. Oh, that, I, yeah. that's what that, that's what what that means. What other movies that came out in 2002? Um, well, I just remember seeing billboards not billboards but like being at the theaters oh. thinking oh i should see this movie after coming out okay. of what i can only assume as because i did see it in theaters santa claus 2 okay no. you know why yeah. people didn't go see this movie this was 2002 right mm -hmm. okay because lord of the rings the two towers star wars episode 2 harry potter and the chamber of secrets yeah. spider-man and minority report all came out that year people were busy watching live action oh and ice age and james bond and Men in Black 2, and The Pianist, like, so many huge, ooh, and Equilibrium, hello. So many huge <laughs> movies came out this year. It was an overcrowded market. Like, it was overcrowded. So what were some of the other... Also, films? 8 Mile came out, and that's the most significant movie ever. 8 Which? Mile. <laughs> 8 Mile. Ah. Mm -hmm. It's very significant, even today. 
Anyway, so there's a perfectly rational explanation for why people didn't go out to see this movie because they had already seen Star Wars that movie <laughs> that, that that year. Yeah, it's true. No more space movies. Anyway, there you I go. I have heard almost that our conversation is done. Yeah, close the episode. <laughs> people almost everyone that we've like mentioned this to that we're doing treasure planet have said that this movie is very highly underrated mm-hmm. and i agree like i can see why they say it's anime uh, underrated like when i seeing it recently and for the first time it was very very unique looking and it had really it had a couple of super highly appealing characters Namely, Long John Silver, and the, the like. The overall creative visual style, of this like cyberpunk world, was like that was like the most rewarding part for me, and that's why I would want to see it because it was so creative. Like all the thought that went into these like creatures and these environments and mm-hmm. and things like that. Music was negligible. Whatever, however you say that. Negligible. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's the one song that's in there. Um, I think it's a Brian Adams song or. <laughs> kind of like Adams. Yeah. So you had never seen this film, so I guess I'm the only person here who who's uh, a true animation addict, apparently. So uh, it was not Brian Adams. The song was called "I'm Still Here." It's also known as Jim's theme, and it was written by the Goo Goo Dolls frontman, oh John uh, Resnick. Yeah, Goo Goo Dolls, man. So yes, so. I actually like that song. It was one of the ones that was on my iPod in my Disney playlist. So (laughs) I do remember seeing this film in theaters because, again, I saw every single Disney movie that came out in theaters. Um, Although I wasn't as pumped to see this film. You know, during the Renaissance, every single film, I knew I was going to love it and got kind of disappointed when uh, Atlantis came out and it just didn't hit for me. And even then, I tried to pretend that I liked it. I was like, yeah. Lilo <laughs> um, and Stitch was good. And then I think by that point, there was a little bit of fatigue of, you know, is this going to be as good as other things? And it just, it to me, it wasn't one that I was like, it's not one of these movies that while it, while it is great and good and, and pretty pretty decent, it's not one where I'm like, I love that movie so much. I need to go watch it every day. So, yeah. All right, so let's go into it. What? Let's go straight into the animation because that's something that really sets this film apart is its look, its design, uh, different uses of animation. So what are your thoughts about that? I was totally blown away. So I thought Tarzan was technically advanced. Like that's what I consider like a very technically advanced 2D animated film. Like this one was amazing. Like you had 2D animation, hand-drawn stuff. You had caps. You had deep canvas CG backgrounds and it was all kind of moving together. You had, uh, you know, CG backgrounds, you know, and then you put on the deep canvas technique that they kind of pioneered for Tarzan. And like I said, it was like the technical pinnacle of Disney 2D animation pipeline. Like the only time they got more advanced than this was, I guess, Paper Man. And that's probably debatable, but that's that's kind of what comes to mind. And in my opinion, it was a vast improvement over Atlantis, although Atlantis is really good too. I enjoyed it. And I actually liked the human character animation more in Atlantis. I had some problems with Jim Hawkins. That fool's face was going all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think that this tops Atlantis as far as visuals. Like, it's just mind-blowing stuff. 
the windsurfer scene like the very mm. beginning when he goes off in his windsurfer and it just like glows and it's like that's i liked that one that was cool yeah, yeah you know i people had kind of mentioned that this so this is during that era where people were loving to experiment with cgi and by this point the experimentation had had progressed quite a bit and there was a lot more technical advancements and a lot of the vehicles and ships and even the planet itself is cgi and uh, some people don't like it, but I personally didn't have any problem with it. I thought like, from that very first scene where we're watching the storybook scene unfold, I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought that it, things kind of blended quite well. And even today, you know, 13 years later, it it I wasn't totally distracted by it. And I just kind of thought that, yeah, this is I, I like the way that they did this. You can tell now that it's not um, as sophisticated, obviously, but I didn't have a problem with it. So did you? I didn't think it was distracting or anything. It was just more of took me back. It took me back to that time because, you know, you, you looked at a lot of the movies that were coming around around that time, late 90s, early 2000s. If they were 2D, a lot of them, most of them had these elements, you know, thrown in there. And so it was just that the balance, they were really trying to find the balance between the CGI and the 2D animation thrown in there. So it wasn't necessarily that it, it bothered me, but it more just took me back kind of like, oh, yeah. I'm back in that back time in period day. right now. Back in the day. <laughs> I like the cyberpunk style, you know, kind of like you got cyborgs, but you also have like practical things like wooden ships. But underneath the wood, there's all this machinery. And people still wear like, you know, petticoats and stuff. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> their, their style and aesthetic is stuck in the 1800s as far as clothing and, and the way that you know, buildings are designed and ships and whatnot. However, everything else has fl- gone forward, you know, a couple millennia. Hey, maybe this will be just happen to have a rocket how it ship. goes back. Yes. <laughs> All of our clothes mm-hmm. will go back to the 1800s style. I mean, we've kind of lost. We've already gone back to the 80s and 60s. <laughs> I know. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. Well, I wish the brilliant minds at Disney did more sci-fi stuff, you know. And yet we had Race to Witch Mountain. There you that go. Movie that's with the, that movie with the rock. Out of sci-fi as you're gonna get. I liked the original. <laughs> oh, the two kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so going into the characters, I actually really liked the character designs. Like Chelsea said, this kind of took me back. I feel from Tarzan through about you know Brother Bear, the films had a very distinct look to their characters. Oh yeah. Um, and this is totally it. You know, when you're looking at Jim Hawkins, especially when you're looking at the mom, it just evokes this style that it wasn't quite the early 90s Disney style, but it's very close. There are just a few different nuances that I, I don't know if I can actually articulate, but, you know, this film feels very similar to Lilo and Stitch and Tarzan uh, in style, in the way that, like, just the human characters are designed, which I thought was yeah. really interesting because that's the first thing I noticed. I was like, oh, yeah. That's what all the characters look like. How come, how come there's no Disney series out there that Jim Hawkins is actually a descendant of Tarzan? Because they look kind of similar. Ooh, the spaceship actually crashed on the planet. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> the portal. They used the portal to go to Africa. And I get it. Th- well, there, there were actually two twins, but we didn't see them in the movie because it was <laughs> and, well, you know, the- and they took the other twin and put him in space. Seeing the portal, like seeing the portal, actually, it could provide a clue for the overarching time vortex theory, which I pioneered. You yeah. did, yes. But we'd we'd have to find <laughs> proof that the portal on tre- on the treasure planet can transcend time and not just space. 
So mm-hmm. that's that would be kind of hard to prove. That's kind of a stretch. But if it could, why couldn't then... it? Well, we. All right, this is for another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we always get sucked in with the Disney theory. Oh, uh, well, going back to the characters, and uh, just making a note. It's kind of how in these days during, you know, you have Tangled, you have um, Frozen, and even into Big Hero 6, you, a lot of the people's big beef is that all the characters kind of look the same. Mm. And I think it's kind of what Disney does. They just find their character design that they like, and they kind of just morph it a little bit, and that's just what they stick with. But Unless anyway. the film that is so drastically different. Like, you know, right. it, is in this mix, but it's different because Atlantis had such a different style. Mm-hmm. Although the character, yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, Atlantis's style was the characters were directly taken from this one comic book artist's um, art well, and style. Well, Le- and Lilo and Stitch wasn't anywhere close to this either. But hey, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's just throwing it out there. Come on. <laughs> but can I just say, hats off to the narrator. Narrator. I went back to Beauty and the Beast at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's despicable. I love it. <laughs> I love his voice. Pony J. Uh, yes. He was also on Hunchback of Notre Dame. Excellent. Disney loves their uh, lucky charms. And why That's not? pretty good. I liked the exposition. You know, it talked about this amazing planet with, you know, the 10 planets worth of treasure. How did he do it? He disappeared without a trace. And um, yeah. and so it kind of sets up this legend and how Jim Hawkins, you know, little Jim wants to, um, you know, wants to be uh, an adventurer and, and do all that. Hey, sh- and if, if we're going to do a shout out to the narrator, we got to do a shout out to Sarah Hawkins. She's like a very understated Disney babe. Oh. <laughs> very attractive. Um, A.K.A. Andy's mom, the voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else? What else, Mason? What else is there? What do you mean, what else? He doesn't get the joke. <laughs> uh, that's that's from Swan Princess, you know, where Prince, uh, you know, the prince is like, oh, you're so beautiful. You're everything I've ever wanted. And she's like, well, what else? He's, he says, what else is there? <laughs> you're, you're only talking about how she's a babe and then we're moving on. But she's cool. <laughs> just kidding i'm just saying she's attractive <laughs> nothing wrong with that nothing I wrong i i know that there's some sort of niche rabbit of fan base that just loves her specifically she probably has a cult following mm, probably those please let us know in the comments <laughs> on some disney message board somewhere out there in cyberspace there's this user going oh can we just talk a little bit about how jim Hawkins mom is like the hottest disney character ever and then, yeah, that guy's name is mason smtx <laughs> yes it is gary gary underscore bulbasaur at <laughs> at awesomecoolness.hotmail.net i don't know <laughs> Well, if you're throwing out your Gary crush, I'm, had a I'm definitely going to throw in my crush of Jim Hawkins' voice, the voice actor, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, his hairstyle, no. No, 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 not the hairstyle. <laughs> but Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's like one of my many celebrity crushes. I'm like, ah, he's cool. That's, that's very cliche, but... What? You think he did a good job doing this voice? I felt like he did. I mean, his voice is very... He didn't really like put on any other... V- like acting voice it's his voice yeah so it's not like but I, I felt like 
they even went in and kind of made the character look like him slightly. So it kind of just had his vibe. So I felt like it blended well. Yeah, I don't know about the voice, but it's like, hey, look, it's every problem with late 90s at-risk youth all rolled into one, <laughs> down to the awful freaking haircut. No, I mean, his mom had to have known he was on the path to the dark side based on that awesome slash horrible rat tail. <laughs> oh, like, you know what? There were, there were two horrible rat tails that year, Anakin Skywalker and Jim Hawkins. Yep. Again, path to the dark side. Speaking. Of oh that, my our, gosh! This whole episode really is just a subplot for the new Star Wars film. Or Confirmed. You know, context to that film. So yes. And when you're you, watching The Force Awakens, look for big noses and rat tails. That's how you know <laughs> the bad guy is. Yeah, big noses means they already are a bad guy, and yeah. rat tails mean they're on the path to become. I don't even know. I don't even. <laughs> okay, I. I had to have been, I had to have not been the only one who thought that his facial animation looked really weird. Like his eyes kind of floated around on his head. Uh, and you know what else? His like cheekbone. I don't understand what that was. There was always a shadow either on either side. And I didn't know if it was oh, yeah. a shadow from his hair or if it was just like he was really tired all the time and had, you know, bags under his eyes. But I thought it was incredibly distracting personally, that I just had a hard time looking at him because I was staring at those little eye bags or shadow or I don't know, maybe it was just a little flourish that they wanted to add to the character to make him look a bit haggard, but it didn't work for me. And none of the other characters had it. You know, it wasn't like this was a stylistic choice to make him a little bit more, you know, rough around the edges or tired and haggard. So I, I agree. I, I, I didn't necessarily notice the thing with his eyes that you said, but... Um, I feel all the other characters are very well animated, and I'm kind of not. I am disappointed that the actual lead, Jim, seems to be the weakest. Hmm. Yeah, he definitely wasn't my favorite to look at, just because there's so many like more interesting characters. Yeah, I go back to you know when Mason used to do his animation lessons from, um, you know, the 12 principles of animation, we talked about character appeal. And as I was watching this film, I kept looking at the other characters like Amelia or, um, or, you know, Silver. And then, and, and then I would look at Jim and be like, oh man, he, they have character appeal. And I think they're really cool. You, you don't have to be attractive to have character appeal. Oh, no, that's not the point. Yeah. Right. Kind of supposed to be like this hunky young guy, rebel, but Zach he, Morris type. Yes, but he lacked the character appeal that really connected me on that extra level. Yeah, I was I was rooting for the dog man and the dude with the robot arm. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of dog Doppler. man, Doctor Doppler is probably was. Oh man, he's very closely tied with um, John Silver as my favorite character in this film. He was like, good. Everything came together with Dr. Doppler to make an extremely expressive and amazing performance in animation. <laughs> My favorite. David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, David Hyde Pierce. He was very popular at the time. Um, was he not? One of my favorite moments was they're like, are you the boy's father? She's like, oh, no, ew. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, he's no. Like, uh. I just love all his nuances. Like he, he. You know, he searches for words, and you can see his his facial expressions change, and he he can visit you visibly see him thinking and contemplating, mm -hmm. and doing all this stuff. And he's such a fun character for being the the weak brainiac guy. Mm -hmm. And just to give you all an, an an example, I guess of how much work goes into making these characters. So, 
if you look up your, if you know what you watch the credits and stuff, um, supervising animator was Sergio Pablos, who's done a ton of stuff with Disney. And then you have about 15 other artists bringing this one character to life. And these are just the animators, Dale bear, who was a supervisor for Yzma, David block, who started on Fox and the Hound, Roberto Espanto Domingo, Akemi Gutierrez, Tyke Lee, Tracy Mark Lee, Steve Lindsay, David Moses Pimentel, Nick Renieri, who is the supervisor for Charlotte, Charlotte in Princess and the Frog, which Charlotte. deserves a mini a mini clap because she was amazing, my favorite character. David Shear, Andre, Andrea Simonti, Juliet Stroud, Trevor Tamblin, Kimberly Moriki, Zamblick, and that's not even counting the digital ink and pink artists. So I mentioned them by name because I really feel like people need to get special recognition as the artists for an animated character. We don't do this much these days because I don't know why CG has changed this, but um, we used to get credits for, you know, the lead for this character was this, you know? And I love watching the, uh, I love watching the end credits for these kind of post Renaissance 2d animated films from Disney because they really give recognition to their artists, particularly Atlantis. If you watch the end credits for that, you can really see, all the different artists that went into that. And it I don't know, there's been this argument going around that in addition to the voice actor, um, the supervising animator for a said character should also appear, like should be Chess is highly billed or Chess is highly mentioned in the credits. I don't know if you all agree. I'm trying to think. I, I feel like the reason why they were so big during that time was because... Um, when they had all the the big fallout with well not so much the fallout but it was the the war between Disney and DreamWorks as far as like trying to you know bring in other 2D artists and kind of steal from each other and it was just this big old hullabaloo that happened. Um, I think during that time is when it's definitely when all of the income skyrocketed, but I also think they really put out for a like notice us, put us in the credits. And I, I miss that too. I, I think that's, I think they should. Yeah. I, I have long said that it's very unbalanced in the industry, how the voice actor gets so much attention and recognition about everything that they do. You know, for example, when we went to the red carpet of frozen, you know, I, I'd ask some of the artists ahead of time, like, Oh, are you going to be at the premiere? And they're like, no, that's, we don't get a go. <laughs> oh, how sad is this? You know, of course, Kristen Bell and, uh, you know, all the different, you know, Josh Gad and all of them were totally there. And they were the, the stars, right? Because that's what the public knows the most. But nonetheless, just because the artists necessarily aren't these huge draws or celebrities, I don't think that's a reason for them to be pushed out of the spotlight for the hard work that they do, which is, yeah. you know, infinite more than what the voice actors do. Not to downplay what voice actors do, but the amount of time that they put into their role is so small compared to the time that the animator has to work on that character and develop and really get the nuance of the acting and the performance right so that way yeah. it tells the story. So I agree with you, Mason. If they were I mean, to do that and do a co-sort of a billing, it would be really cool. I mean, I know these guys, I know these artists aren't doing it for the fame because, like crews for these films i mean they get like baftas and they go to the annie awards and they get you know the crews get you know production crew gets a recognition for that but i don't know i just 
you know, if you're an animation fan, take the time to learn the names and like the craft of certain animators so that you can recognize their work in these films because, you know, in, in that way we can appreciate them uh, or we can appreciate that performance. Like, like how many of us know who like the lead animator was for Elsa, you know, in Frozen? And that was such a huge film and such an amazing performance and let it go. Like very few people know who that is. And, um, you know, of course, you know, uh, movies like Tangled, you know, we recognize that Glenn Keane uh, did a lot of the visual development for that uh, while he was director. And, and so, uh, I mean, it's not that hard to find out. Like I try to take the time to do this when I saw, um, I think I told the story already, but when I went and saw Penguins of Madagascar, I looked up the animator for um, Dave the octopus. Cause I thought Dave's performance was like mind blowing. Like it was amazing. If you, if you've never, if you haven't seen Penguins of Madagascar, see it chess for that. Cause Dave's animation is, is, is insane. Um, so complicated. And uh, I, I went out of my way to like look him up and, and try to look him up on Twitter. And uh, I think I sent him an email or something like that. But um, just, you know, do the extra work to show appreciation for the animators, you know, not just the voice actors. There's my, there's my sit you on my lap <laughs> and teach you the lesson for the day. <laughs> Dang it, Jim. I'm an astronomer, not a doctor. <laughs> I love I mean, it. Star Wars I reference. I'm a doctor. No, that's Star <laughs> Trek. That's Star Trek, honey. I know, I was trolling. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. I have a doctorate, but it's not the same thing. You can't help people like a, with a doctorate. You just sit there, and you're useless. Oh, <laughs> that's when he's falling in love with the cat lady. Oh, cats and dogs and... <laughs> oh. oh, I know. It's like, this movie is like that thing that Ringo was talking about. Oh, we've lost Morgan, so I, oh, yeah. I could probably go on a long-winded rant. Um <laughs> Oh, this is just like in Rango where he's like, pretty soon dogs and cats are getting together and creating all sorts of mutant apparitions. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that's what happened in this film. <laughs> we had a whole bunch of cat dogs. <laughs> yeah. And so I love how um, all clear, Morgan. Oh, yes. Just random strangers knocking on, ringing the doorbell and continuing. Oh, to it's play. probably just the elders. <laughs> anyway. I who they were. It was a guy and a girl. But anyway. Oh, the guy and girl. Things have changed. That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Probably J Dubs then, but yeah, um, I like the part where um, oh, there's so many. I mean, there were so many good Doppler moments, and um, I don't know. I kind of like how he just becomes like part of the crew once like um, oh, a lot of things happen. For, for some reason, Jim just tries to help this old turtle dude. And the turtle dude is like, Cowabunga, man, take this. Don't let the cyborg have it. <laughs> and then the cyborg shows up and then uh, burns everything down. And so um, I like how Dr. Doppler has this like, f like dope, like laboratory <laughs> slash lounge slash like astronomy lab, alchemy lab. He's got everything, man. Just science. Like his house is just science house. <laughs> Well, and when we get onto the boat and we meet Captain Amelia and John Silver. All right. Captain Amelia. Emma Thompson. I think she did a great job. Nanny McPhee. Oh, she did amazing. She is her, – her voice and her performance is just very appealing. Mm -hmm. uh, even though her character is this very unique cat-like um, – I have never seen a cat, anthropomorphic cat like that. Who's amazing. Yeah, I, I love her character. You know, another character which we missed um, is Mr. Arrow. Oh, 
I think they oh, do a- that fool, the rock golem. Yeah, I think they do a great job with him in just the short time that we have with him, that they were able to kind of see that relationship between Amelia and Mr. Arrow and how they really are, you know, captain and first mate. And they have this bond and they've traveled basically the universe together. And then it, it makes it that much harder when he's gone. Not necessarily so much where I am crying because he's not, not with us, but I didn't, I didn't cry when we lost Cap- Mr. Arrow, but I wanted but you to. feel it. You feel the absence. There was something in there. Yeah. 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 I like the moment where they're like, are you the captain? Ha ha. No, she's the captain. I'm like, all right, I get it. We're all sexist, but like, <laughs> you know, you, you don't need to, you can like the whole, like strong independent female protagonist goes back, goes way back. Like, I guess there's a lot of hullabaloo about it now because we're very short minded when it comes to watching movies, but I really, really liked it. Uh, liked the captain lady. She's in control of everything and she's a know-it-all. Like she like, I love how Dr. Doppler is established as the most intelligent person of the group until we meet Captain Amelia or whatever her name is. And um, (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Waldo waddles on board. (laughs) (laughs) Where the blazes is your sister? (laughs) You a cut. Uh, good we can't do that one. There's so many good movies we need to do. We're talking about Atlantis. We're talking about Aristocats. Uh, one day we will have. You know, we've never reviewed Finding Nemo. We were going to, but we never did. It's true. Uh, yeah. Hint, 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 right? yeah, come on, patrons. Let's go. <laughs> snap, snap. Now the next one is Felix the Cat. I'm or or uh, not Felix the Cat. Fritz the Cat. I'm getting. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> And then we get introduced to John Silver, who could possibly be one of the most appealing Disney antagonists ever. I loved him. Like, there are very few of these post-Renaissance Disney villains and villainesses that I actually love. But, man, he is brilliant. Like, how can they turn such an ugly-looking character into someone so appealing, you know? And that's what character appeal is, as we've already established. is not attractiveness. Of course, animation supervisor was Glenn Keane himself. Well, that's why. Cyborg... That is the answer. That's your answer. His cyborg parts were CG, brilliantly executed. Did you know that they tested comping the CG uh, robot paraphernalia on uh, old footage of Peter Pan? <laughs> Oh, so somewhere cool. out there in the Disney archives is a uh, test footage of Captain walking oh. around with a cyborg arm. That's awesome. I love it. Or something or other. I everything from his everything from his voice uh, to his animation to his expressiveness uh, to his like his inner conflict and his character arc were just so gripping. Like that's how you do it. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that, like, the nuances that you threw in there, every time he did something nefarious or whatever, his eye would turn red. Or you'd just see so much based on little things that are like, I like these things. I like all these magical touches. All these things. Well, just all the, all of those nuances of how he moves and what little parts of this cyborg give him away. And it's great. So his voice actor is Brian Murray, 
And he actually hasn't done too many films. He's only done about four films in his career, but he is most noted for being for his radio dramas and also his uh, Broadway and off-Broadway performances. So there we go. He was a actor. Actor. Animated by the animator. (laughs) That's one one reason why he's able to emote so well and really get us invested in this character because, you know, we, not initially, I mean, if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, you don't know this, that he's a, the bad guy, right? He's really Long yeah. John Silver. Yeah, he's Long John Silver. But uh, we find that, you know, midway through. But his whole point is he has to act like he is this good guy for Jim. And they start building this relationship. And I buy it, and I believe it. And there there comes this weird point where you're not sure whether he's, it's an act and he's just doing it or if it's real and and what that's a combination of the voice acting i think the song um that that montage scene where they're really you know doing all these different things together and growing and having a great time you know that helps you just see this arc of these two characters and i love that scene that is ultimately some of the best parts of this whole film is that relationship between those two characters because um jim is this character who you know, no, it's it's very stereotypical, but you know he doesn't have a father, and so he doesn't have a father figure in his home, and he's he's rebellious as a result, and and then he meets this man who, you know, is a cyborg. <laughs> and we're describing Terminator Two: Judgment Day. <laughs> you know, he's his boss, but he's also his friend, and he's kind of one of the first. as far as we know, father figures in his life who really embraces him for who he is and doesn't think that he's a bad guy or that he's just some hooligan or he's going to the electric chair. (laughs) It's my favorite part. And I think the film gets bogged down later with, with um, Ben as he comes into play. And I I wish we'll talk about Ben, but I wish we would have introduced him and just left it the relationship between John and Jim. Okay. They got it, like, okay. So for me, the relationship between Silver and Jim is the most interesting part of the whole, like, Treasure Island story. If you have if you haven't read Treasure Island while, but you have seen Treasure Planet, shame on you. You should always be reading the books that these films derive from. Are you going to be reading Hunchback of Notre Dame in preparation dude, I saw the silent film. Because <laughs> I read the book. Oh yeah. Anyway, continue. They should make a. They should have made it around this time. Wouldn't it be cool if they made like a Moby Dick adaptation? Moby that Dick. Could be, that could have. <laughs> the whale uh, doesn't show up for like the Moby first. Moby Dick comes out like <laughs> this this month, right? No, it's called In the Heart of the Sea, but yeah. I wish that I'm I'm, see it. I'm all about that Thor. But yeah, oh guys, it has Cillian Mur- girls. I mean, it has Cillian Murphy <laughs> and that that guy from Thor in it. I mean. Oh, what reason do you have to not see it? But anyway, um, I really <laughs> love story. I really <laughs> how, rom- how romantic. What do they? What do the Babettes say in Beauty and the Beast? They're all talking about Belle, but one of them just like he's gorgeous. <laughs> What's wrong with her? She's crazy. He's gorgeous. Oh, that's right. Anyway, um, yeah. So I wish would have been cool if if these same Disney animators made a sequel to Treasure Planet, but it was um, Moby Dick 
and we met another pirate captain who was basically cybernetic Captain Ahab, and he, they're after the sea whale. There are sea whales in this movie. Exactly, there were. It's like the wind fish from Link's Awakening times 10. They're all over the place. But yeah, um, I like I love that relationship. Like It's left a little ambiguous in the novel, whether Silver like really came to see like Jim Hawkins as a son. But I really like the writer's treatment in this film. They pushed it further and gave it kind of this cool twist. Like the fact that such a villainous villain could develop a father and son relationship with one of the protagonists is so interesting to me. Like letting the villain struggle with an internal conflict is such an amazing way to build character appeal. Like uh, Count Frollo comes to mind on Hunchback of Notre Dame. He had a huge internal conflict and he failed. But here's one who had a huge conflict and actually had a turnaround, kind of. Mm-hmm. And he didn't just like if you saw him up at Treasure Island, he he is Jim's friend, but then he betrays him at the very end, and then he gets his comeuppance at the end, basically. But <laughs> this one they leave totally open. It, you know, it, that's not to say that totally focused, driven, evil bad guys can't be appealing as well, because then you have Scar and Ursula. It's just that it, it's a different kind of character appeal if you can accomplish such a conflicted character who turns into who is a bad guy. And mm-hmm. I I really. I mean, I've said it multiple times on the podcast. I love the idea of an antagonist turning into the friend of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it all the time in superhero films, you know, and uh, and stuff like that. And I don't know. I was just, I was just way into it. Like, how could you make the cyborg so heartwarming towards this kid? You know, it, it takes certain certain talent. Silver, you gave up? Just a lifelong obsession, Jimbo. I'll get over it. <laughs> I'll get over it. I felt like I for him in that moment. I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> like, oh. Right? Yeah. Um. I. I believed it. I felt like there could have been a little bit more. I don't know. I kind of felt like I went in and I watched it again, and I think that they should have put in like the dad that went away at the very beginning opening scene. (laughs) Like, I think they should have just made him like kind of there, but not there. And then like later on have it like show how much he like broke the kid's heart. Um, But then that's really creating a different storyline. Anyway, Jim blows him away with a blaster. (laughs) I got a new dad and he's half robot. (laughs) I did. I did like the, the growth of how it moved because there were moments where even at the very beginning you knew long you knew john was the bad guy he was the cyborg beware of the cyborg and so you knew that going into it and he like twists it and you're like there is a little bit of something here but then it's not and i just want to say that the only part that i wasn't really a fan of were the clouds at the end (laughs) that was so cheesy it was creeper (laughs) Oh, I was sitting here. He might as well have been winking at the end, like the clouds should have winked. (laughs) A little little sun ray coming out of his laser eye. What does that even mean? I was like, wait, so does John have the ability to control the weather? He died and he's in the clouds. He's like Mufasa. (laughs) He's literally the Mufasa of this movie. I I had no impression that he died. I thought he was just going to go on gallivanting, having more amazing adventures, being a pirate. (laughs) So, yeah, and he shows up in the Moby Dick episode, the second movie, the Moby Dick inspired one. Uh, that was bizarre. Thank you for <laughs> that, Chelsea, because that is—it was so oh, weird. I'm gonna make a gif of him just <laughs> waking up in a <laughs> cloud. 
<laughs> and at the end, he's like, remember who you are, Jimbo. <laughs> at the very end. Jim Hawkins is like, you said you'd always be there for me. But you're not. But you're not. It's, it's because all my of fault. me. It's all my fault. And then Ben's like, look harder. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Ben. Let's talk about let's talk about the two sidekicks. Morph. Oh, uh, we totally ben. skipped over the, the the swarthy pirate crew. Who like were them. all colored the same color palette. Yeah. I did not like them. Okay, so it seems like They were too monochrome. It, yes, design was to monochrome yes but i feel like sometimes in these space movies and whatnot it's like oh well we get to do aliens so let's get really creative with the aliens and i an alien that's just a bunch of farts <laughs> going back to character appeal you know the characters that was just a head or just a body or just an arm or whatever i i thought that was oh so yeah appealing and unrealistic and i did not like the pirates it's and and then you go back to this home planet, and those pla- those those aliens are more or less bug-like, except for the humans that are totally 100% human and haven't evolved in any way, shape, or form. Everyone else has. It. I don't know. I just didn't love all of the miscellaneous characters and how they were designed. You know, mm-hmm. except you know the the main ones I liked, but anyone who wasn't really like a a, a name character per se. Uh, like the deckhands and whatnot just were weird to me. I felt like they should have more or less aligned with how Amelia and how she was designed and, and even Jim and well, maybe not Jim since he was human, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I did not like them, especially the ant guy with. Mm-mm. Okay. How did Doppler not see it? It's like, uh, yeah, we'll take those guys. They see the <laughs> ant guy, you know, sharpening his mandibles. He looks over, there's some dude loading a musket. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, what was, what was them. they look like an upstanding crew, you know? <laughs> Who was the casting? Who did casting on this boat? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, the captain, like, she's such, she, you know, the captain, Amelia, is such a, you know, experienced sea seafarer. She didn't look at that crew and be like, no, no. Yeah. Come yeah, on, guys, yeah. let me see your green cards. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, it, it should have been. It should, she should have like there should have been a better screening vetting process. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that just because he was financing the operation that he would pick the crew. It seems like the actual captain would pick a crew that would work well with her leadership style. And she's an amazing captain, but she has terrible eyesight. <laughs> Well, she knew at the beginning. She's like, uh, "Don't be talking about treasure with this crew, people." So, who picked them? Were they just like nobody wanted to go on this RSL legacy? RLS legacy. Like, could you uh-huh. make a more blatant nod to the source material? <laughs> but that's cute. It's cute. I liked it. Um, I don't know. I don't know who did the vetting or the screening process with these guys. You know, if they did interviews or if they were just the cheapest guys they can get. That may be it. That's probably yeah. And Jim and John purposely made them the cheapest so we can get hired. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So anyway, I I thought the crew was uh was okay. I I pretty much passed them up. They're very freaky and very weird, and it's very obvious that they were bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) The noses were huge on those. Oh my gosh, so many big noses. Anyway, and then about yeah, and so the two lovable sidekicks, one of them not so lovable, 
Uh, I'll give you a hint. I love Morph, and I hate the other guy. <laughs> I mean, Morph's annoying because he's like the monkey on Pirates of the Caribbean who steals everything and ruins everything like monkeys always do. But he had interesting animation. Like, for hand-drawn, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Ben, let's hear your rant on Ben, because I've heard you have a rant. Yeah, I guaranteed everyone at least a five-minute rant on Ben, but <laughs> I don't think y'all want to hear that. I don't want to be too no. negative. No, um, we're here. Go. Okay, here we go. I thought he was extremely annoying, and if he didn't have a sort of important role in the plot line, like I, he would have been one of the more annoying sidekicks. Like, it's Martin Short, you know. Of course he's going to be like this. Like, I don't know. And they did some technical stuff with him. Like, he was obviously he was all CG, and he was mixed with a little deep canvas-style texturing, I presume. Like, technically he didn't work, because, like, when you're when you're drawing something, when it's hand-drawn and, like, a character's limb goes towards the screen and stuff, they really exaggerate, like, that foreshortening, you know, and then how big the proportions get relative to the viewing space. And uh, it really doesn't work with CG unless you're doing certain special things with a camera or unless your rig incorporates things for exaggeration. And so he didn't blend too well with the 2D animation. And so that that's just technical nitpicking by Mason. And I'm sure there's some Disney's that artists who, Disney artists who are listening to this being like, well, we didn't have the technology back then. So <laughs> this was 2002, you know. But um, him and O from DreamWorks' is Home should be in a fight of most annoying voice for an animated character. <laughs> I can't think of many other characters. Well, of course I can think of more characters that are annoying, but like, oh. For a wizard's duel. Oh, uh, wizard's duel. Who could shout each other to madness quicker? O from Home. <laughs> I, just don't, I just don't like that kid from Big Bang. Um, but uh, yeah, Ben was extremely annoying. Like, like he was worse than Batty from uh, Ferngully. My name is Batty. <laughs> yeah, Ben should have had a Ben rap. <laughs> it's like we get it. You're a crazy robot, but like, stop screaming! My gosh. <laughs> crazy you, you, you can never have another genie. You can never have another scatterbrained funny man, ever. After that, nope. so stop trying. <laughs> Be Go home, yourself. Martin Short. I'm calling you out. Be yourself. <laughs> All right, you bad boy. I don't know. I tried to make this an epic rant, but in the end, he was just an anno- extremely annoying uh, side character. I thought you were gonna have another top ten list of why he's <laughs> annoying. I know. I was expecting a lot more than that. I'm gonna I'm have like to- a BuzzFeed style post. Top five of re- reasons why you will hate Ben after reading this post. <laughs> <laughs> I did like how they actually put him to work at the end, though. At the end of the movie, they have him like be the actual server, but I just, I feel like every order is gonna get wrong. So with Ben, he's interesting because I do not like him. I think he's very annoying. Nobody likes you, Ben. He's crucial to the plot. Yeah, I'm just well, trying to sit here and think, like. I love this movie until we get to him and then I'm really taken away from it and distracted and I'm annoyed at the screen at what I'm seeing. And I feel that once he hits the picture, it it takes a dive a little bit. So do you Uh, think they should have just taken him in a different route, not to be the Martin Short crazy, but put him with somebody else? Why did it have to be a character that had this piece? You know, it could have been some inanimate object that they were able to find. I just felt that the relationship already was so strong between Jim and John that why didn't we, we 
why bring someone else into the mix who is has no emotion because well, well he's he's an actual part of the of the source material isn't he I know, but <laughs> have to be this robot annoying guy. Well, th- I think that has to do with the with the voice. So I think really, if they would have changed the direction that they had him, instead of being the annoying guy, be like this, you know, fun guy that hey, I've been <laughs> lost forever, yay, I have friends. <laughs> but just kind of like there, I think you would have hated him less. You probably still wouldn't have been quite as useful. Um, but you know, you would have hated him less. That's the goal in life, to hate him. <laughs> yeah. Working on it. Yeah. Oh, well, so that's Ben. Like, I, I don't know. Sure, he had this huge, like, like, he was pretty important to the plot, but, like, my gosh, man. Who liked Ben? Who went out and got the Ben toy after that movie came out? <laughs> All right. I, I'm on it, guys. Looking up eBay right now. Ben. <laughs> Treasure Planet toy. I've already posted killer uh, deviant art fan art of Ben. Um, the plushie, the, the, the Ben plushie. There, there are quite a few of them. How can a robot be a plushie? I can see R two D two because he's kind of bulbous, but the McDonald's toy is also very common on Eat the Ebays. Ooh, I am loving this <laughs> Long John Silver. <laughs> is there a plush it- for? Is there a plushie for Long John Silver? Both of the chat rooms and then also in the show notes. You can buy both. It is the most horrible thing in your life. It's it's very scary. scary. He looks like he looks like a brown Shrek. Yeah. And then Ben is like, I'm on drugs. Uh, so That's if you're the like, most unappealing plush toy. I will toy. include a, a link below in the show notes, rotoscopers.com slash 111, because I know you guys are going to be wanting this in your Christmas stocking. Yeah, so. satisfaction <laughs> guarantee. Buy with confidence. Excellent oh condition. <laughs> oh, look, they have a Captain Amelia also. Huh? They have a Captain Captain Amelia who looks like a character from Cats Don't Dance. <laughs> That's true. Again, all of your amazing plushies will be. Uh, yep, I got you. I got you. Which, which one of which one of our writers really col- collects all the Disney dolls? Is that Aja? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's. We should get her these. Don't you want these, Aja? <laughs> and that's a no. That's I'll answer for her right now. That's Excuse me. True. All right. So, okay. So. All right. We're done with Ben. We're done butchering that poor robot. <laughs> Let's just talk about the overall plot. Obviously, this follows very, not very closely, but more or less the same plot line that is found in the source material, uh, Treasure Island. Oh yeah. I love the Disney movie Treasure Island. It's. I think it's a forgotten. You know. I didn't know they made a Treasure Island. Oh. Do they make a live action? Yeah. yeah, it's in the 60s. Oh, yeah, so I, I've seen the live action. Yeah, of course. I prefer Muppet Treasure Island. Yes, you we've would. got by Robert Louis Stevenson and has given us some great characters over the years, particularly Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver, who now has his own franchise of fish restaurants. It's excellent. Oh, yay. What a great legacy to leave behind. Commonly coupled with an A&W. Yeah, um... Or oh, I, you know what off. character you know what character wasn't in this film was Blind Pew, who has to be one of the creepiest characters in literature ever. 
I was kind of waiting for a blind pew to come out. And the but, black uh, spot? <gasps> the black spot! Dun-dun-dun. Pirate's death. Mm-hmm. We don't have that, but it's okay. So, how, what do you feel about the actual planet and how how that ended up working? So, the actual planet itself was, you know, the treasure. First off, I, I was looking at the treasure and I'm like, oh, this is the treasure of a thousand planets. And I'm like, wow, the most coveted treasure in all of these different planets just happens to be gold coins and jewels. Yeah, it's <laughs> like we haven't found another resource that's we're still on the gold thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, hey. So these other planets, it's still gold. It's not uranium or any other precious metal or, or element. It's everyone is still going for that gold, trying to make a dollar. Yep. <laughs> and I was very surprised. This treasure, the ratio of gold coins to precious jewels and gems was almost like a one-to-one ratio. There, I, oh, I mean, there were a lot of jewels mixed in? It wasn't like Scrooge McDuck in there? Yeah, yeah. You know, normally when you see, you know, these hordes of money, it's probably about 80% gold coins and then, you know, 20% jewels, maybe, maybe 10% okay. jewels. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I get you. These are the things I think about as I'm watching. <laughs> Again, Ben came on the scene and I got very distracted and started Morgan's focusing. Morgan's a fancy pants. <laughs> I felt like, uh, I just felt a real flashback of Goonies the moment I they entered into the actual cavern of coins. Which was yeah, not a bad, man. it's not a bad place to be. Goonies is awesome. Oh, but. the cavern of coins. One day I'll find my own. You're going to hey, have that pool. Mountains. That pool of, of gold coins. Gosh, that would hurt. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so I really like, I kind of like the idea. I really like the idea actually of the portal that just goes back and forth between worlds you know, and possibly back and forth between time. Like, How do they get back though? That. What do you mean, how do they get back? So every time that they go in, how do they get back? Is the portal just always open? That was my... Well, yeah, so... It's like Interstellar, the power of love gets you there, duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was something that I was interested in, too, because he had the little, you know, map thing, and that was always on, you know, the pedestal that opened mm-hmm. up the portal. So is this portal just always open? And if it's always open and you're spending a significant amount of time plundering... Wouldn't other people see this portal as well? Uh, that wasn't explained very well. Is this a portal? Maybe they have some sort of remote control that... Yeah. <laughs> Cloak. <laughs> Locks the car. Cloak engaged. Yeah. <laughs> Again. That, uh, was my only, that was my only thing. I was like, how in the world do they get... Is it always uh, open? I was really bummed about at the end was when they go through the portal at the very end. I was like... This is amazing. This portal does everything. I guess it wouldn't have mattered because the actual, you know, planet was being destroyed. But I'm like, take the map with you. <laughs> the no map kidding. is pretty intense. The map was amazing. I thought it was very, I mean, it, it's not totally unique. It's something we've seen before in other sort of, you know, places. But I, I really liked it. Even with my years of experience, it would still take me a lifetime to figure, wait, what the, what was that? <laughs> I love it. He's a, I, they never explain how Jim Hawkins just automatically knows how to do it, you know? It's like those random kids that know how to do street the Rubik's smart. It's like all yeah, he was totally doing. Random. Oh, here we go. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's this one crew member who's like, we are going to need a bigger boat. 
I appreciated all of these little Jurassic nice Park. Hugs. I'm just kidding. That's John. <laughs> oh, yeah. troll. Uh, I'm kind of falling apart here at the end. I mean, the movie just kind of ends, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a huge moment where John Silver has to choose between the, the mm-hmm. lifetime of obsessing over the treasure mm-hmm. and little Jim Hawkins. And I thought this was the part where I was like, mm-hmm, he's going to betray him. Just watch. You know, and then it didn't happen. He, he helped him out and became Cloud John Silver. And so <laughs> became Long John Nimbus. <laughs> Cumulus silver. I I felt like the overall movie was kind of slow. And so huh. like getting toward the this end part, it was just kind of I was engaged but not as much as I wanted to be. Like yeah. I was there, but I wasn't yeah. like loving every moment of it. Yeah, I a think lot of, a lot of the book is about the journey to the island, I think, mm-hmm. and all the intrigue and stuff. It loses a lot of its steam once they actually hit the island, which is kind of unfortunate because that's the whole point. It should be the most exciting, um, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Exciting was actually the journey. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and stuff As like life that. Is. Uh, joy in the journey, EFY, two thousand two, <laughs> and then um, so they have to like mix it all up with stuff like the uh, the black hole, you know. We have to ride the black hole out of here. Oh, I know. It's every space movie. Wait, let it explode, and we'll ride the explosion out of here. It's like every sci-fi movie does that. (laughs) Can we just have a sci-fi movie where we're like, no, 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 thrusters all the way up. Let's just turn out of this. Let's just not even deal with that. (laughs) Go in the opposite direction with my ship. But anyway. Not going to Yeah, and then... then, um, yeah, I like how he finally gets rid of Mr. Ant-Man or whatever that fool's name was. And then um, Mr. Scrooby, Scrooby. Scrooby, Scrooby-Doo. Scrooby, Scrooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Name, but... Always a classic. All right, all right. So let's wrap it up. And it does yeah. wrap up very quickly. They you know, go through the portal. They get home. Oh, here's some little gold so you can rebuild your... Oh, John Silver gave him all the gold. No. He's he's a nice guy, and that's the thing. I feel kind of conflicted. I'm like, you are horrible. You Yeah, what's he gonna go do? Like just well, find he's another he's his... gonna be like Jack Sparrow, like he's the lovable villain, the lovable bad guy, the you anti-hero. Know, it's funny, so when you mentioned that, because this film came out a year before Pirates of the Caribbean. So they were in production around the same time and uh, and pirates really weren't as hot as they were after you know, pirates came out, but uh, it's just interesting how just one film and a certain set of characters really takes off and takes over the world. Cause that's what pirates did. Yeah. It took for, you know, five, five ish years. It was the big thing, but this one, not so much. Finding our two favorite things, pirates and space, AKA pirates of the Caribbean and star Wars. Some of the two of the biggest franchises at their time. Uh, Star Wars. Yeah, they took Treasure Planet. They took Pirates and they turned it into a space opera. It's great. <laughs> great premise, but it just, I don't know. Didn't, didn't pan so out. So many other films came out that year, like I said. <laughs> anyway, in conclusion, I really love this film. It did kind of wrap up pretty quickly, but I mean, whatever. And uh, I mean, the the writing was good. Like, I like how they, I like the treatment they gave the, the source material and stuff. And Long John Silver, though, is he, he goes out in history or he should as one of the most appealing Disney villains. 
antagonists, I suppose you would be able you would have to say. Of, you know, you need to make a list of like a video countdown of Disney villains or underappreciated di- Disney villains. And- the villain countdown. <laughs> it's an illusion, Michael. <laughs> It's an illusion, Jim. <laughs> My friendship. <laughs> Will, Will Arnett is Long John Silver. Jim. Oh, in an alternate. My friendship wasn't a trick. It was an illusion. <laughs> dove, dead dove comes out. <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. Anyway, all right, let's rate this. Let's rate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go first, and probably be the un, uh, the underrater. And give it three stars. Three stars. Uh, underrated, an underrated film. Yeah, I'm gonna underrate. I'm gonna go right along with all the you're, underrated. You're just here. part of the problem, Chelsea. I am. <laughs> I am. It just didn't hit me the way I wanted it to. And like, you look at the writing, the nods, all the fun things, the animation. They have a lot of really good things for it. And I think. I mean, it was just kind of the same problem I had when it first came out. It just wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't what I wanted to see. Or it didn't Why? have something. Songs. It's not because it didn't have songs. It was just, it was hard for me to really get into. Because it didn't have songs. <laughs> it probably didn't. It didn't we know, Morgan. We didn't know. have songs. <laughs> no, and so that's, I'm going to be part of the underrating crew. Three stars. Well, you're a one-person crew. <laughs> actually there's uh, quite a few i'm gonna give it a solid four stars like this i would definitely watch it again and if only for the visuals and to watch long uh you know john silver again um but uh uh yeah i mean pretty great film i mean i, I really enjoyed it i think i actually liked it more than atlantis i like the first half of atlantis better than the second half of atlantis this movie i, I liked the whole thing hmm. except for ben except for ben <laughs> except for ben and that is uh, as you should okay, like so I, I greatly appreciate c-3po now after seeing ben like, <laughs> ben has replaced c-3po's oh, world's most annoying robot that. they're both metal men <laughs> that but they're from two different worlds <laughs> we need to do a ranking of uh annoying you know, talking robots robots so you'd well, have c-3po is suit, is suit motion you know. Well, no, I, well, I, I, he would not be included, but basically the Iron Giant, we have Ben, and I'm sure there's other robots in animation who are, yes, special. So, okay, I am going to give it 3.5 stars. I really liked this film, but not enough to go back and watch it frequently. Uh, the, fir- the beginning really is the most exciting for me, and that relationship between Jim and John is my favorite, and I just... I felt they it wrapped up very nicely. I don't feel that they just stopped, you know, exploring their relationship, but I get distracted once Ben comes around. Um, and they did a really great job with those characters. So kudos to Ron and John because Ron and John, Jim and John, there's so many. Um, they really did a great job with this. Unfortunately, there's just certain elements that didn't stick very well. I think the animation itself is fine and beautiful, except for Jim suspiciously i'm not quite sure why his character just doesn't seem to fit in with the rest including uh the weird background characters anyways i digress 3.5 stars Did we 
have a Twitter question for our Twitter? Not because we have so many voicemails. Let's you get on with the voicemails. Able to handle it. So I'm going to jump right into this. And our first one is from Sinjin. In three, two, one. Hey, Rotoscopers. Really excited that you guys are doing Treasure Planet. Um, and I had a few thoughts that I wanted to share with you guys real quick about the movie. Uh, first off, I love the setting. The 18th century cybernetic space fantasy that they've got going on is just so cool and interesting. It lends itself really well to some uh, awesome set pieces and ideas, but I don't feel like it's used to its full potential throughout the movie. Um, and that could be because it's an adaptation and the filmmakers are trying to hit specific um, story beats, story elements um, from the source material. Um, but again, I feel like it's a, it's kind of a waste. And uh, for that reason, I feel like Treasure Planet could have been more successful had they scrapped the adaptation altogether, kept the setting, and using pirate adventures like Treasure Island as inspiration uh, created an entirely original story with original characters and whatnot to go along with this awesome, fantastical universe that they had created. Um, so anyway, overall, I think Treasure Planet is a solid film, definitely worth recommending to those who haven't seen it. Um, but it's just missing a few things um, that would really make it something unique and, and truly classic, I think. Um, so anyway, thanks for listening. You guys rock. Yay, we do rock. <laughs> you rock, Sinjin. Yeah, he does. I was totally in agreement with everything you said. Yeah, I think of all the cool, you know, seafaring tales they could have taken from uh, Moby Dick, duh, and um, you know, tre Treasure Island, you know, um, stuff like um, the HMS Bounty, uh, Robinson Crusoe. I guess Ben is like Robinson Crusoe robot gone horribly wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of like that. Maybe even I don't know. It could have made it into like this could have been the animated Pirates of the Caribbean, but with the cyberpunk feel. Like I don't know if they could have pulled it off like Pirates of the Caribbean pulled it off because they didn't have Johnny Depp. But uh, but yeah, that's a very interesting perspective on it, and it kind of makes sense. It would have been really cool if they had just kind of ran with the feeling of the source material. Next one <laughs> is from Jack. Jack. Scopers, this is Jack calling in. I just want to give my brief thought, uh, brief thoughts on why I chose Treasure Planet as my Patreon choice and what I really think yeah, about this yeah. movie. I chose it because it is probably Disney's most polarizing movie and maybe it's most underrated. It was at the end of the experimental era for Disney after Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, Lilo and Stitch, all those really un-Disney-like films, and they always managed to surprise me. But Treasure Planet... Planet just surprised me no matter what I, whenever I watch it. I don't know. At first, I thought it was going to be a very terrible movie, judging from the look of it. Boats in space? Why would you go with that idea? Why not make it classical and traditional? And then when I, when I sat down to watch the movie on the Disney Channel several years when I was a kid, it, I just realized why they chose to take place in space. It kept visually surprising me. 
What I mean by visually surprising, I mean they always reveal something very interesting about why it's done in animation, especially 2D animation. For example, the reveal of the spaceport. I did, that blew my mind the first time I saw this. The reveal of Treasure Planet and where the treasures are held. And the reveal of, oh my god, there are so many things. I just love the interpretations of these book characters into these, into these aliens. I mean, this is a very imaginative world. I don't know where to begin with it. But anyway, long story short, I do enjoy this movie. I do come back, back to this movie at least once a year because it has a special place in my heart. It appeals to the steampunk, steampunk in me. It appeals to the sci-fi, sci-fi weirdness. <laughs> and I just think it leaves you with that great Disney feeling, especially when you see John Silver in the clouds and Jim just looks on. I can't deny it leaves me feeling really good. So I give this movie four out of five stars, and I hope all you rotoscopers have a great holiday. Bye. Aw. You as well, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for being a patron. Um, it was his choice to do this film, and I'm really glad that we did, because I think on our own, we wouldn't have selected this one, you know, as for soon a while. Right, for a long time. <laughs> I love when we do these underrated films or these films, you know, I think of Cats Don't Dance and, and Treasure Planet. Uh, I just, it's nice to go back to them and, and discuss. So thank you, Jack, and thank you for your support. Our next one is from Matthew. Hey, Rotoscopers. My name's Matthew. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Good day, mate. Related to this week's movie review, um, I'm just curious to know, if you guys listen to any other podcasts besides the Animation Addicts podcast, um, and if so, what are they? And, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. All right, guys. What other podcasts do you listen to? I listen to the Bancroft Brothers um, animation podcast. They always have really good interviews going on. I appreciate their inputs because they're both um, have been in with the company for and doing animation on their own for so long. Um, that's always a really good one. Also, Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson. Whenever that one, I sometimes I'll get in my mode of a of a Talking Tunes with him. Um, those are really the only podcasts though that I I listen to. So I listen to quite a few podcasts, uh, animation and not animation related. So uh, we'll go with non animation first. My podcast that is my ride or die is <laughs> Rob has a podcast which is. Mostly focuses on Survivor, Big Brother, and reality competition uh, shows. So I am a huge, huge Survivor fan. I'm not even going to go into it right now because I've gone into it a million times. But he is amazing, the amount of content that he's able to put out. He probably does about, uh, you know, five to seven shows a week. And I really appreciate that. So I am a patron for him. Other shows that I listen to on a regular basis, I listen to uh, Pat Flynn's podcast called the Smart Passive Income Podcast. It is a kind of a entrepreneur, small business podcast, and he is himself is a self-made man. So I love hearing his perspective on different things relating to business, blogging, uh, marketing, and he has some great guests on there. Another show that I listen to uh, and I love is this <clears throat> with Leo Laporte. Leo Laporte is kind of known as the uh, father of, or king of podcasting. He is one of the most famous podcasters out there, and he has a, a network called the twit.tv network, 
uh, where he has a variety of shows, probably 20 or 30 different shows. But This Week in Tech is the flagship show, and it's a weekly news podcast, which that is one thing that I would love to mimic for, you know, like we could do This Week in Animation. And that's when eventually we hit that patron level. That is something that we are going to do is just a weekly news show for animation. Um, other podcasts, I do listen to the Bancroft Brothers from time to time. Um, I listen to Pixar Post podcast. I um, And then there's others that are just kind of on and off that I, I choose to listen to. But those are kind of the main ones right now. So, Mason, do you listen to any podcasts other than okay. your <laughs> yeah, for the for the longest time, uh, this was the only podcast I listened to. It's not that I didn't try. Um, I tried listening to... Well, actually, back in the day when I was at BYU, I listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. This is kind of boring and nerdy, but he, he has a very gripping style that, um, at least in the early days, I, I used him as a crutch as as far as like radio persona style. Um, for for this podcast, and so he was kind of an inspiration for me. He's very intense, and and he has a very great voice. Um, <clears throat> uh, of course, this American Life, Freakonomics. I used to listen to them a lot. And then when we started producing this podcast, this was really the only podcast I listened to for a while. I, I tried Kaiju Cast because I'm a Godzilla fan, but I I, I didn't like them. And um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm more of a music. Oh, Jay. What? They're supposed to. What? Kaiju Cast is supposed to be the authoritative Godzilla fan podcast out there. And I was really disappointed. Maybe <laughs> I just caught a bad episode, but I, I just didn't do it. Now, I'm, I'm so narcissistic that I pretty much only listen to us, but uh, as far as animation goes. But outside of animation, I um, there are a couple of shows on YouTube that run for a long time that I listen to. One of them is Coast to Coast AM. Of course, I'm never up in time to listen to Coast to Coast AM or Ground Zeroes, you know, stuff like that. So I catch them on YouTube. And then uh, the scariest movie ever is a YouTube account that I um, that I like. He's kind of one of those nut job Illuminati conspiracy theorists, and he's pretty entertaining. <laughs> and then... Um, no, nah, he's, he's, he, he did like a third... He did like a 15-minute episode analyzing the Taco Bell logo and why it points to the Illuminati and why Taco Bell is part of the Illuminati. I kid you not, it was an entire episode dedicated to Taco Bell and its branding. That's so creative. Like, if you can do that, then you've got me. <laughs> you've got it. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it as far as podcasts. I'm kind of an oddball when it comes to that. Cool. You know, my biggest inspiration for like my radio persona on this show and like my personal style is um, just talking to actual professionals and hearing them actually talk on on interviews and and stuff like that. Like, I want to play the part of someone who loves animation, loves talking about it, and so I listen to animators and artists uh, talk about their craft a lot, and that that's a definitely a huge uh, component of um, I guess my energy on the podcast. Oh. I'd like to I'd like to think that I'm energetic on this show. Also, WDW Radio, Lumanjaro, oh. awesome. He puts on a fantastic show. Oh, isn't he great? Mm-hmm. My gosh, I was so humbled uh, by <laughs> his uh, by his skill. Yeah, like, you, you never think of this show as like as skill based or whatever. But like, if you go back to our first couple episodes, like I really. I don't think I had the confidence in the flow that I have now. Of course, now I can just ramble on. Like, it gets me in trouble <laughs> sometimes. But, um, but Lou Mangello was just podcasting circles around us, and it was, it was awesome to learn from him and to, and to participate with him. 
on the mm-hmm. Peter Pan episode. All right, our next episode, our next voicemail is from AJ. Or <laughs> sorry, we have a lot of voicemails, but it's not from AJ. It's from MJ. I'll stop rambling. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm really excited you're talking about Treasure Planet, one of my uh, all-time favourite movies. It's an interesting Disney movie because it is sometimes underrated. Not everyone's heard of it, but people who have, they usually love it. I I personally love everything about it from the animation style, the whole mix of old and new technology. They didn't go too out there with the Treasure Island story, but what always stays with me the most is is Jim as a character. They perfectly captured that confused time in your life where you just feel completely lost and you really feel for Jim, you really understand him. And even beyond that, how can you not love the relationship with John Silver, this, this surrogate father who's not all you know he's not exactly perfect and i feel there's a bit of jack sparrow influence in there where you're never quite sure where his loyalties lie but you can tell he loves jim and that speech he gives um where he he's trying to uplift jim you know you'll rattle the stars one day that that always <laughs> that always gets me to my core so oh i'm so glad you finally talked about this movie thanks guys yay mj Yay. I take it from your accent that you're from Alabama. (laughs) She is Uh, one of our patrons as well. So going on, we are going to Rachel. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's Rachel. And Treasure Planet is a really interesting one for me because it's one that I want to like because it's so artistically ambitious. But once you get used to the style, I find... That it, I find it to be really slow and kind of boring. It just doesn't do it for me. And so, I don't know, I was just curious if you guys had any ones like that. that it's classic, it's supposed to be, you want to like it, but it just doesn't work for you. And uh, thanks. Rachel has such great questions. Um, she's always super introspective and she loves movies. You should definitely check out her blog. Um, let's see. But so while I look that up, I, so I don't mess it up. What do you guys think? Are there any per- movies that, you know, are considered classic or awesome and you just uh, can't get into it? Oh man, there was one recently. I'll think about it. Oh, there's, I feel like there are a lot of them. <laughs> um, the one that comes up here a little bit is Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. I just can't get into it. That's yeah. Ratatouille, huh? That's really interesting. And The Incredibles. I'm sorry. <gasps> Shun me. Shun me. The Incredibles? Yeah. I know. Oh. Keep going. Oh. Just, just. <laughs> so Rachel, her blog is 54DisneyReviews.com. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I got that correct. Or she's basically reach, reviewing every single uh, Disney film. But she also has. Yep. Anyways. Anyways. That's what it is. Go, Mason. Man, what was a film that was like a huge letdown for me? This is my film journal. I record every film that I watch in it. No, I'm serious. You it's are great. amazing. Wow. It's great. And I have a whole pocket full of ticket stubs back here, you know? 
I've got it all. Like, this is my uh, Thespian Society sticker from high school. <laughs> this is Star Wars. Uh, let's see. There's SpongeBob. Very important. And then Pixar lame. sticker. And then, of course, Rotoscopers right here. Yeah. Did you just say SpongeBob's lame? No, I said you're delaying. I'm trying to think of a movie for me that doesn't okay. quite work. I don't know. As I'm thinking of that, we are going to go on to our next one. And the next uh, one's from Ray. See. Oh, Boyhood. Oh, we're, we're talking about animation, animated films. Let's see. We can do whatever. That'll help things. Hi, Rotoscopers. My name is Ree. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now. You've done a lot of the movies I would have sent voicemails to, especially The Great Mouse Detective, Robin Hood, Hercules, and All Hooks Go to Heaven. But alas, it was not meant to be. I would have sent one in for Lilo and Stitch, but I didn't have the same attachment as I did for Treasure Planet. I haven't seen this movie in almost 10 years. I did watch it yesterday. I haven't watched it because I was afraid that it wasn't going to be as good as it was before, because nostalgia is a killer. But it was still awesome, sort of. The first two acts were great. The pacing was great, and so was the story and characters. They put the right amount of energy and heart warmers to make you want everything to work out for these guys. The animation was also very gorgeous. But it was the introduction of Ben, which, by the way, very scary jump scare. You can keep fidget. <laughs> that the story started falling apart. I know Ben was in the original story, Clever. but it wasn't necessary. Morph was already the comic relief, and even though Ben filled in some plot points, he wasn't really needed as far as comedy goes. Yes. But the movie does manage to save itself towards the end with the awesome escape. I rate this movie 4 out of 5 stars. I was watching this with my sister, though, and she brought up a good point. Why is it when someone finds a huge treasure, they're never allowed to keep all of it, but they're always allowed to only have like a few pieces or none at all? Anyway, keep up the good work. See ya. Yeah, why can't we have it all? Oh, it's a concerted attack on wealth. It's all on that <laughs> podcast that I listened to about the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, they just don't want us to get into get the idea of accumulating wealth for ourselves. <laughs> Um, you know, because riches aren't everything, it's the most important thing are the lessons you learn along the way and the people that you befriend and become father figures for. All right. Thank you, Ree. Okay, have... Besides The Hobbit, I can't think of a recent film that I that was super hyped that I didn't like. Well, good. All right. So two more voicemails. One is from Vanessa. Hey, Rotoscopers, it's Vanessa from the last voicemail from your Peanuts episode. I just want to thank you so much for your suggestions. It really meant a lot to me and the kids I work with, especially I think um, all, I agree with all the movies that you guys suggested. And also, I'm glad you guys suggested shorts because that works better in a therapeutic setting since we only have so much time and you can really have a lot of, um, have that time to discuss the films. Just walked out of the good dinosaur and i wish i had waited one more episode to ask these questions because oh my goodness that movie i was in tears it was ridiculous i never thought a movie past 1996 would make my top um three of a, a list of favorite animated films but good dinosaur is number two i mean all the content i mean spoilers but i figured you guys be doing this ptsd i mean i'm definitely gonna use this with my clients, uh, um, those flashbacks, but also the animation, so beautiful. The wa I couldn't get enough of the water and the leaves. I definitely was the last person in the theater to, um, <laughs> who left the theater because I was just looking at the credits and even looking at the 
the light and the water and the leaves. Oh my goodness. But uh, thank you so much for your last, for answering my voicemail. It means a lot to me. And uh, curious to hear what you guys think of the good dinosaur, because I think after Beauty and the Beast, it's hit my number two spot. Um, thanks again, Rotoscopers. Love you. Bye. Oh, we love you too. I'm really, I'm glad that we were able to come up with that list and brainstorm with other people um, in the comments of, of different films that could be used in a therapeutic setting. And I'm glad it helped her. That's awesome. All right. This is our last one. So let's check it out and round it out. <laughs> Great phrase. Morgan, Nathan, Chelsea, it's Mark. I'm calling uh, in regards to your Treasure Planet uh, podcast with, which I hope to actually join live, but if I don't have time, I'll be sending this voicemail. Um, uh, Treasure Planet you know, is a film that I really love, and I actually put it on my top 13 favorite films from the entire Disney canon. My favorite characters in the film are the two police robots that bring, you know, young Jim Hawkins in at, at the beginning of the film. I just oh, yeah, those guys were cool. Incredibly designed and look so cool, and I'd love to see, you know, robot cops. That'd be awesome. Okay, well, I mean, <laughs> from a cool perspective, that'd be awesome. So <laughs> my question to you guys is that in this movie, I've noticed there are a lot of inventive, colorful, creative minor characters like in the background and stuff it's especially uh in docs scenes before uh on their planet before they actually go on the ship and go off to the other planets that they go into so out of all those minor characters in the background uh which would you say uh is your favorite and why okay uh looking forward to hearing your answers bye cool the, the little, little frog, frog girl at the very very she's like staring at dr joe Fleur. And she's like, go away. <laughs> and then she likes, like, um, eats his food. I liked her. I like that. I like the two aliens that are the caricatures of uh, Ron and John. They're on the ladder and they're looking for like, you know, platform nine and three quarters or wherever they're trying to get, get to. And they're like, yeah, just go down there and take a right. You can't miss it. That's a cool bit of trivia there. Actually, they were my favorite aliens. I can't remember who my favorite like background characters were. I just like the fart alien. <laughs> like, why not? All right. So also going back to Rachel's question, um, I've had some time to think of underrated films or not underrated films, films that people love that I just simply don't. I've had a hard time thinking of one. You know, um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Some people loved that series. And the first, the, you know, first one clearly is better than the second, but I just really did not enjoy myself in that film and could not get into it. And so that's the one I would pick off the top of my head. There you go. With that, we are done with this episode. We have, Morgan's calling it. <laughs> we are rounding the horn. So <laughs> we have done an awesome, you know, year of animated films. We and 
you know, we launched our Patreon this year. We've we've really expanded the show in ways that we hadn't been able to do before. We're doing a lot more live shows. Well, we didn't ever do live shows, so that's a first. And we're also doing a lot more newly released animated films. So I'm really excited. I think 2015 has been a great year for the podcast and for the show, for the website, uh, and for the community. So thank you so much for being a part of this. We love the Rotoscopers community and everyone that we have met along the way and we get to interact with. So thank you for being you. And this is our last movie review of the year. Uh, our next yeah. episode, as Chelsea mentioned, is going to be this, you know, fun-filled 2015 episode. Be sure to send us your your question. So if you have a favorite moment or, you know, just listening to a random episode, just give us, send us a few questions. So you, you just go to that form, rotoscopers.com slash rotosurvey. And I will make sure that none of us look at the results. We'll have someone else on the team put this together for us. And then when we do do that episode in two weeks, we will release it as... Um, yeah, a, a survey that you can take, uh, hopefully before you watch the episode as well. So that way everyone can uh, be on their, you know, territory or whatnot. So, Morgan, you sound like a robot. Am I being a robot right now? You're, You're a cyborg. Now. Beware the cyborg. Beware the cyborg. I thought I, I, thought I fooled you guys. <laughs> You're back. Yeah. Send hey. us your voicemails if you want. Go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Or you can call 406-646-6575. Oh. Make sure to check out all of the information for this episode at rotoscopers.com slash 111. And, hey, make sure to check out the Rotoscopers store. We still have T-shirts, people. <laughs> I want to get rid of these. No. So since we want to get rid of them, we are cutting the price. <laughs> we kind of what? Again. We're going to cut them. They are going to be $7. There you go. All t-shirts, $7. Wow. The judgment is decided. So if you want a roto shirt, definitely pick one up before the end of the year. I will make sure that I go in and update the price so you guys can all enjoy that. And we will ship you those shirts. So enjoy. And thank you for being a uh, listener. We love you guys so much. I'm so excited for next year. We have so many awesome films on the docket. Uh, our next, like we said, our next episode is going to be a special episode. We're not going to be reviewing a film. We're just going to be having a lot of fun. But then after that, we will be reviewing The Box Trolls. So that is another patron joint as usual. And then we'll probably be going, by that point, we'll be going into some more newly released animated films. So Kung Fu Panda Three comes out in January, so that will be coming up pretty soon after that. But stay tuned to the bottom of the website. There is a little box right there that lets you know when we're recording, what days we're recording, and what day it is come. the new episodes are coming out. So for all of those things, go to rosecopers.com slash 111, and then scroll all the way down to the bottom. Yep. And, of course, uh, we want to thank our patrons. We wouldn't even have been doing this movie on this video glorious live broadcast format without our patrons. And have you been thinking about Christmas and what you could give the rotoscopers for Christmas? <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever feel like every month could be Christmas? <laughs> well, there's one way you can give a Christmas gift to the rotoscopers every month as if it was Christmas every month. <laughs> And that's by becoming a Rotoscopers patron. Like, honestly, you get awesome Roto perks. We have our own Facebook group, and it's super secret, and it's super fun. And uh, you you know, you know, get a say in what we review. And so in our all seriousness, 
uh, we really, really appreciate you know, the lifeblood of the Rotoscopers podcast. And that is our awesome listeners and our patrons who help make this possible. And so please consider being a supporter and, you know, make this a Christmas gift to, to us or a Christmas gift to yourself. Think of what you're going to get out of it. That's really it's, what they should think about. <laughs> it's your birthday gift to me. I'm so happy. <laughs> All right, guys, make sure to get those surveys in. We're so excited about that. Until next time, my name is Chelsea. I'm Morgan. And I'm Mason. And we are the Rotoscopers. Papa. Mama. Papa, can you hear me? I don't even know what we're cracking up about. <laughs> no. did, we, did we talk about that in the 100th episode? Oh, it no, was when we was... were periscoping. Um, when I was when I came over in July to Phoenix. Rotorama, and, number one. Yeah, Rotorama, Rotoroma. It was almost <laughs> we almost had it in Rome. We were doing Disney karaoke on the piano, and uh, I think one of us got mixed up, and we were singing this song. Home, home oh, yeah. from oh. Beauty and the Beast, the the play version, theatrical. Yeah, version. the play version, but we were singing it from the perspective of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we find it so funny still. <laughs> it's it's funny. I had to make the choice. But Papa, I must <laughs> But I cannot do lose my freedom in this way, you monster. <laughs> Again, it adds a whole other He's level. Himself in the mirror. <laughs> A whole other level and dimension. The beast turns into this huge diva. <laughs> oh man! That is wow. That Surprisingly, is we hadn't lost next... all of our watchers by now. They're like, yeah. For your next YouTube video, you need to do that. Okay. He, does the beast sing in Beauty? Yeah, he does. They sing the duet. Uh huh. She shuddered at my paw. And in the Enchanted oh, Christmas special, he sings even more. Ooh, oh, I don't it. even don't even get me started. Actually, <laughs> I, I do like uh, I do like Forte. He's a formidable villain. And do a Christmas movie this year, guys. I know. We can do a, a bonus episode. How about that? Maybe. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Just go watch the Rotoscopers Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>